welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard. Good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. I'm going to change it up just a little bit. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. A story that we have covered from day one. Black men harassed, kidnapped, tortured by members of law enforcement. Major updates to that story. We have those gentlemen on the program today along with their attorney. I want to remind you of what happened. You understand right here, knowing you know what happened right here. Justice is what it all, you know, what it all boiled down to. I'm just like them, you know, whether they they in uniform or not. For six months, Eddie Parker has been living in a house of horrors where he says he was brutally beaten by deputies sworn to protect this rural Mississippi community. I crawled here to this spot and uh, they uh, started uh, beating me here and tasing me. As you can see, you know, blood spots and all and my blood spots there. On January 24th, Parker and his friend Michael Jenkins say that six white Rankin County deputies entered the home and tortured them for nearly two hours. A heavily redacted incident report says deputies were investigating, quote, reports of narcotic activity at the house. They said they saw a gun, though there was no proof either man had a weapon. In a federal civil rights lawsuit, the men alleged deputies entered without a warrant, handcuffed them, and subjected them to nearly two hours of torture and racist abuse. Jenkins was shot in the mouth during the incident. And Mary Jenkins, Michael's mother, says her son will never be the same. I prayed with him, and I asked Michael, I said, if there's any life in you, Michael, if there's anything in you, please squeeze my hand. Please let me know you're still in this body. And he did. Jenkins' injuries make it difficult for him to speak. I hurt. I'm embarrassed. Has anyone from the department ever reached out to you and apologized? Have they ever asked for anything at, at all? No. The two men are suing a half a dozen Rankin County Sheriff's deputies, three named and three only identified as John Doe's. Rankin County Sheriff Brian Bailey was also named in the suit. And he said earlier this month, deputies involved in the incident were no longer with the department, although he did not confirm the number of deputies or their names. Newest development, six officers, all six have now pleaded guilty to 16 federal and state charges. The attorney, Mr. Malik Z. Shabazz, attorney of law, real leader, real advocate. We have been covering this since the start. Legal counsel for both Michael Jenkins and Eddie Harker. This was horrific. Um, I want to remind you of that hospital picture we showed you initially. Michael C. Jenkins was in the hospital after he was shot in the mouth, the mouth by one of the deputies. Jenkins was left for dead, essentially as deputies rendered no aid to help him whatsoever. I remember the picture of Mr. Eddie Parker, Terrell's injuries. The crime scene of January 24th, 2023. Again, six officers entered the residence of Jenkins and Parker without a warrant, alleging they were 
there to carry out a late drug raid that resulted in both black men being beaten, sexually assaulted, waterboarded, assailed with racial slurs and chakra tasers for roughly 90 minutes or more, all while handcuffed. Accusations of them dating white women were hurled. Items found at the crime scene, a sexual device on the left, eggs on the right. After officers attempted to sexually assault the men with the sexual device, both men were forced to shower together. Eggs were also hurled at the two men. Clarity on the agencies. Some outlets reported was five Rankin County deputies and one Richland Police Department officer. While language in the lawsuit doc suggests all six officers involved were with the Sheriff's Department. Rankin County Sheriff Brian Bailey on the left, <coughs> Deputy Hunter Elderward Center, and Deputy Brett McAlpin Wright. According to eyewitnesses, the identity of the ranking officers included Deputy McAlpin, Deputy Elward, and another deputy, Christian Dedman, not pictured. Back in late June, Sheriff Bailey said all five deputy sheriffs tied to the January 24th episode had been fired or resigned. Richland County Police Chief Nick McClendon, put him up, announced in the early part of July, former officer Joshua Hartfield was, and I quote, implicated in the January 24th incident and has since resigned from the department. Hartfield was reportedly off duty at the time of the incident. Now, there's a lot of information here. We wanna make sure that one, we have the absolute word from those who were victims and from the advocate attorney representing them. Thank you gentlemen for being on the program. Wish it was under better conditions, better circumstances, but here we are. How are you today? We're doing fine. Um, in this historic moment, uh, first of all, we want to thank you, Dr. Ritchie, because you reported this case. You believed in this case. You stood up for the cause of police brutality when people doubted us. And now the hour of vindication has come upon the plea guilty of these six criminal white deputies that abused uh, our clients and abused our <laughs> black brothers. And so in this hour, I want to say that this is a this is a good hour for us as black men as and in, in this hour because we are standing up and we are getting some justice in this hour. Uh, we appreciate that sentiment, uh, but we simply did the right thing attorney just like you are. You're doing the right thing. That I want to ask a question to Eddie first, um, to give us in his own words, what transpired that day? What was said, what's, what's correct on the record, what's incorrect on the record? Okay, I gotta say one thing about this Dr. Ritchie. There's a sentencing on August 14th in Rankin County for the state pleas for the deputies. And uh, they're still sentencing ahead for these multitude of federal counts. So, uh, brother, Mr. Eddie and the department, and we in the Department of Justice have agreed that he will not recount what happened in the House. But he's more than willing to speak to you about uh, how he feels about what happened, 
Okay. The pain and suffering he's endured, how he feels and his response to the guilty verdicts and all of that. He's willing to talk, but he's not going to go through a fact by fact of what happened because uh, we're still in the criminal legal proceedings. I respect that attorney. Um, Eddie, how do you feel now? And what was your sentiment when you heard that these officers pleaded guilty for the crimes alleged? Oh, I was, uh, I was ecstatic. Yeah, I was uh, self vindicated, you know, for uh, every word, you know, that was uh, said for uh, our you know, implications on what they, what happened to us and uh, what we went through. Um, I felt, you know, uh, finally, you know, something uh, was coming out of it. Uh, I'm still kind of in shock, you know. It was a battle yesterday, just, just thinking about, you know, the, I mean, the, the end, you know, coming to a near, you know, for uh, um, them being charged, you know, and then, I mean, finally, you know, saying, you know, I mean, yeah, we did this to these guys, you know, and, I mean, we were wrong, so, I mean. There's no nowhere uh, they can hide, you know. No, no other way, you know. Other time, you know, they can get away from uh, just sitting back, and not, you know, saying anything. Like, you know, we were just making this up, you know. I felt. I mean, I, I still, I still don't know the feeling that I feel, but I know, um, I, I know justice is being, you know, done. Michael, let me ask you this question because when we saw the photo of you in the hospital. Um, when my team and I received the information about uh, what happened prior and that they, the officer shot you in the mouth. Uh, what was it like after the aftermath of this, the hospital stay, uh, the conversations that needed to happen around why were you placed in this situation? Okay, let me say, and I want y'all to be patient with him. Because he he has been shot in the mouth, he has continuing medical injuries. He almost lost his tongue, and he's still been traumatized by this. Yes. I'll go right ahead. Answer the question. Uh, it was difficult. The hardest part, the way they did my mom, and um, they left me for dead, and then turned around, wouldn't let my parents see me. And then go out in my room 24 hours and just waking up seeing them, handcuffed to the bed, feet, arms. Man, it was, uh, it was terrible. I mean, it was terrible. I don't know. bad. I would imagine that even after you're in the hospital, Michael, that you are likely thinking uh, these individuals are going to try to do something else to you. Did that sentiment ever go through your mind? Yes, sir. When I woke up and my, when I first woke up, you know, my mom was right there. She, I heard her say, you could hear me squeeze my hand. I squeezed her hand and uh, I was waking up and I, was, I saw her. And she stayed there probably about five more minutes and they, they were telling her it was time for her to go. I had just woke up. You know, and right when she was getting ready to get up, and I looked over and seen uh, uh, the same police from the same uh, office sitting there, and she was walking out the room, and I couldn't even say nothing to her. And I couldn't even talk to tell her what, you know, what's going on. Were the same officers involved in your, um, let's say, 
guardianship or guarding the room who were also involved in what I say trying to kill you. No, sir, not the same, not the same officers, but the same department. Attorney Chavez, can you clear up the element where two departments are actually involved from police to the sheriff's department? How did that happen? Where was the call or the genesis of this partnership? This is called the Ranking County Goon Squad, according to yesterday's uh, uh, plea. This is called the Goon Squad. The brothers and the people in the community know it as the Rankin County Death Squad. There's a, there's a Deputy Hartfield from Richland, from the Richland, Mississippi Police Department, who uh, at this time we understand was off duty, but came to join the Rankin County Goon Squad. The other five deputies who pled guilty yesterday, again, their names are the shooter Hunter Elwood, Brett McAlpin, there is Christian Deadman, there's Deputy Updike and Middleton and Hartsfield. Yeah, he joined in from another county and joined the Rankin County Goon Squad. And this was probably the worst decision that he made in his life. They have been getting away with beating uh, black people, white people, and violating the constitutional rights of residents of that county. Elwood took two pleas yesterday. He played to these crimes and another set of crimes for discharging his firearm. You know, he just he goes in places and just shoots to intimidate. I mean, this sounds like the 30s or the 1800s, but it actually happened. And and uh, 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 and so Hartsfield busted. But I got to say this: this is the remarkable news, sir, is that to our knowledge, this is the first time that law enforcement. All of these deputies are under federal custody right now. This is the first time that law enforcement, that white police officers in Mississippi have ever been put behind bars for harming a black person. This is history. And that is likely the reason they felt emboldened to do exactly what they were doing. No accountability, none. There was no precedent for accountability in Mississippi. Let me ask you. Uh, something, Eddie. Did you know of the reputation of this particular goon squad, as Attorney Shabazz just laid out? Oh, it was known just as uh, just as well as the, the day turns in the night. Yes, it, it was. Uh, uh, I'm not the only one that knew. A lot of people that knew. Uh, Michael, so this was a known dynamic inside of the local community. Uh, these individuals coming to your home unannounced. Was there a sentiment, I know you can't get into the details of what happened line by line, step by step. But when they came in, was there an understanding of what was really happening? Or were you all still confused as to who these people were? I was, I was, uh, at first I, you know, was confused of, you know, who it may be. But uh, uh, once I got a clear shot, a clear, you know, sight of uh, who it was, uh, I, I kind of knew, you know, the gist of what was uh, about to happen. Um, I mean, really, I'm speechless. Uh, let me go to um, let me go to Michael on this. One. I'm getting a little choked up. I apologize, 
Michael, moment. I mean, it's been an emotional moment for all of us. I mean, sure. I mean, the greatest part is there is a United States Attorney General head of the Civil Rights Department. Yeah, she is a black or African American woman. Her name is Christian Clark. Yes, and she takes these things seriously. And this is the first time in a long time as a as an attorney and an activist that I've seen the U.S. Department of Justice really stepping up and doing its job. And so, uh, uh, you know, some of the tears that we that we shed are tears of joy because there is some justice in this hour. And that I agree. Um, some. Where do you stand, Michael? Where do you stand today? I I know your mom talked about um, your road to recovery in a previous interview. Um, what does that road to recovery look like from the violence that these uh, criminals did to you? Every time I eat, man, my dog is like, it's a, like, a, like my nerves, like a bad burn feeling. It's hard to explain the, the pain, but it's, if you ever had a toothache, I know. How bad too can they can get this man your your nerve in your jaw? Uh, I almost have to go down to the table. I'm gonna knock my fuck out off my plate because it hurts so bad. I go down. Uh, it's it's uh it's bad. You know, um, these brothers, Michael almost lost his tongue. These brothers are gonna have uh. uh a long road, really, of, of trauma recovery. Uh, as Michael's mother said, she said that Michael uh, uh, is—he's unable to sleep at night. He's had um, uh, a host of mental effects, you know, from this. That's going to take a significant time to professionally recover from. And so, uh, you know, but yesterday's guilty please takes us further down the road, you know, towards his recovery. But uh, it's, it was a serious, I mean, this is torture. Now you imagine these these brothers is handcuffed. You know, once you handcuffed and these officers are coming in, calling them, calling them, calling them uh, uh, at other times. And, and, and over these two hours, you know, as the plea deals pointed out yesterday, they were conducting a mock execution. They they think this is funny. I mean, this was this was tremendously uh, humiliating and embarrassing and uh, 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 and unprecedented for law enforcement. And we're hoping that the sentencing it will help ease some of this trauma. We're hoping that the sentencing will send a message that this type of law enforcement must never ever uh, occur again in America. These type of law enforcement practices. That will go a long way towards the healing, but uh, uh, you know they have they have messed a lot of people up, and they have messed these brothers up also. Obviously, I feel as if these criminals who are wearing a costume, parading around as law enforcement officers, should never see the light of day. Sentencing obviously will um, occur soon. Attorney, I have to ask this question. Was there any reason, I know there's no legitimate reason. Was there a reason 
given for why these officers decided to target Michael and Eddie? Because Sheriff Brian Bailey allows his officers to target people that they don't like or you know, I don't know whether McAlpin who lived nearby was asserting his territory. The general uh, theory that I have is that they didn't want any black men in the area. Mm. In this area, they didn't want any black men and they were like a gang asserting their control. Uh, uh, and, and all of them were emboldened by the sheriff. This is not just six rogue officers, this is a sheriff that is, and according to our lawsuit, is on the record participating in excessive force activities with his deputies. So um, this is a this is a custom, this is a pattern of practice, this is a way of doing business. That's one of the reasons why they felt that they could just pick out almost anybody and go out and go after them because this had been tolerated, this had been pro, uh, promoted. This had never been uh, brought under control by the sheriff and the county. I mean, this is literally uh, a rogue operation from the county to the sheriff's office down to the deputies who entered that home. I mean, obviously they had been doing this many times before. To get right. to this level, to get to this level and finally get caught, obviously they had done this over and over again. So they, they didn't know Michael or Eddie, but, uh, they decided that they were going to uh, commit these savage acts of torture, sexual assault, waterboarding, and uh, ultimately sh shooting Michael Jenkins in the mouth. I mean, that's it. It sounds shocking. It sounds crazy. People had a hard time believing us, but I mean, to today we are vindicated. It is all true. The worst parts about it are even what happened. Afterwards, it's so lengthy. The way that like we always talk in the black community, where the cop put a gun, the cop planted evidence. They say, "Oh, he ain't planting no evidence. He didn't plant a gun. Police wouldn't do that." They just think it's a so-called criminal making an excuse. Well, in these guilty pleas, is they've admitted to planting the uh, plant, attempting to plant a firearm. And that one of the deputies who pleaded guilty carried with him on, on duty a drop down gun. In case they had to drop a that gun down, he carried it on duty. <coughs> uh, uh, and also, um, um, they have, um, they stole, they, they, they stole the video recorder that recorded them coming in, that they admitted that they had stole the video recorder, concealed the evidence. Hunter Elward went right to the police department, filled out an affidavit, <laughs> said that Michael Jenkins had a gun and pointed it at him and notarized the statement. Elward never would have notarized that statement and went right to the police station if he had not had a history of doing that and getting away with it. There's that's another right. case that's coming down the pike soon, same county. It's Damian Cameron. The <coughs> autopsy said that Elward, the criminal here who just pled guilty, Elward and another uh, associate of theirs, Luke Stickman, that these deputies who uh, subdued Damian Cameron and he died. Well, the Mississippi State autopsy says of these ranking deputies that Damian Cameron's death was undetermined. Well, what's about to come out, doctor, is that uh, expert forensic pathologists are about to tell you that Damien Cameron did not 
died from undetermined causes. He died because clearly the autopsy photos show that they were on his neck like George Floyd, and they compressed his neck so hard that his eyeballs had hemorrhaged and popped out of his skull. It's all about it's all about to come out, and it all comes from Rankin County. Attorney, your leadership, brother, your advocacy, your fearless advocacy is to be commended. I submit this to you. You may be dealing with serial killers, sir. These may be serial killers who have coordinated a culture and that culture has either been A, ordered or at least significantly permitted and protected. Um, I wanna do this in our closing. Um, Eddie and Michael, I would like you both to just tell us, tell us what you think a solution is as it relates to this kind of misconduct. What should be done? You had this experience, you're still having the experience, but what would you like to say to those who are watching this interview? And um, Eddie, I will go to you first for that question. Uh, maximum sentences, you know, that, mm. that'll be the, the number one thing that'll stop, you know, a lot of people from uh, even thinking about doing this game. You know, the maximum sentences, I mean, that's that's what they would do, you know, to anyone else. So, that's right. I, mean, I don't look at the cops being, you know, any anything special. And, and I echo that point, and I would say, because they are officers, they should be held to a higher standard Absolutely. of accountability, not lower and not the same, a higher one. Um, and the same uh, to you, Michael. Yeah, maximum sentences. So we're calling for that with you. Um, attorney, thank you. I know you got a lot of work to do. I appreciate all of you gentlemen being on the program today. I know it's not easy to recount any of this stuff. Uh, attorney, keep us updated. Uh, let us know what we can do uh, to be an advocate for justice with you. Brother, you've been out front with us, and we have the in, and you have the inside connect with us. We honor you. Thank you for being a pioneer and a stand-up reporter and brother. We thank you. Sentiment. Thank you. Sentiment right. shared. I appreciate you all. All right. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right. Welcome back. That was a tough interview. Uh, we will continue to follow the developments as they come, guaranteed to be many more developments out of that county. There's a video circulating online, we're trying to get more information. Here's what I wanna do, I wanna first take you to the video, give you the little background that we have, here it is. I just wanted to get to a well Sir, I wanted to get to No, sir, sir, what did you do? Don't put it in drive. Sir, what are you doing? Sir, what are you doing? Why are you in my car? Why are you in my car? Why are you in my car? I didn't do anything, did I? No, 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 no. I'm not here. Give me your hands. Give me your hands. Give me your hands. Give me your hands. You need to get pepper spray. You need to get pepper spray. He's reaching his tin car. Mom, mom, mom. Stop, 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 stop,
Here's what I want to do. I want to put a picture up first uh, and give you the information that we currently have. This is a music producer according to the person who posted this named Juke. All right. According to Tina Sampe, aka Slauson Girl, a race and equity journalist, she said, and I quote, Los Angeles music producer asked me to share this illegal search and arrest he experienced in South Central by the LA County Sheriff's. He is currently seeking legal representation. No local coverage has been done, could not find it, nor does there appear to be any immediate clear details on the social media of others, including Jude. Um, so if there's an update to this story or some additional detail, please reach out to us at indisputable at tyt.com, indisputable at tyt.com. Uh, the dynamic of escalation is a mandated training element with all law enforcement currently. It used to not be mandated, now it is. There's a duty to follow policy in order to effectively deescalate. I did not see effective deescalation uh, and if as alleged, the entire search was against the law. Well, naturally, you have way more malfeasance happening. Um, Jeff, you saw this. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, you you nailed it with the de-escalation piece because, as we saw, the music producer was fairly respectful and cordial along the way. Because I would imagine he felt like, in fear, if oh, yeah. he brought his energy up. It would really raise the police officer's energy up. And if that's the exchange that we have with law enforcement, you can only imagine that they kind of know if they bring up their energy, it's gonna escalate things pretty high. So information needs to be gathered and attained to figure out what led to the stop, the search and everything else. But yet it did not look like the police officers from what we saw use any de-escalation techniques that we know of. Yeah. All right, we will um, await a response. Young lady goes to a Popeye's restaurant. There's something wrong with the order. She makes a request for the staff to make it right. And then she is, according to the allegation, attacked. Here's the picture. Oh. They ripped out her hair. Okay. They ripped out her hair. I received a text message from her attorney yesterday. He's a friend of mine. Attorneys representing a Metro Atlanta woman plan to file a lawsuit against local Popeyes for an alleged assault in the restaurant's drive through. The David Bozeman law firm said they will share details about the lawsuit which names the restaurant manager and two employees as its defendants. 
on Friday afternoon. According to a press release from the law firm, their client was a customer who was simply trying to correct her order in the drive through line. Moments later, they say the manager and the employees attacked the woman and forcefully ripped out her hair. Uh, let's go to Attorney Davis. Attorney Davis, a well-known civil rights litigator, graduated Georgia State University School of Law, one of the finest attorneys I know. He's on the case. After the attack, the woman suffered excruciating pain and severe emotional distress, the lawyer said. Decatur Attorney Davis alleged that the restaurant's manager had a documented criminal past involving violent acts, arguing that Popeye showed negligence by hiring the individual and not conducting a proper background check. Um, what they are likely to find is that the local restaurant probably did not conduct background checks properly on many people. Now, why do you think that is? Now, I'm not advocating that people who have a background <clears throat> should not receive an opportunity to work. That's absolutely not the advocacy here at all. When you have establishments in black communities, typically they will not follow the rules that are established by corporate. They don't really care to follow those rules inside of particular communities. And there's also a remedy if somebody does have a criminal record, simple. Create a program that allows for an opportunity to remedy through an actual thoughtful program within the corporate structure. I only support companies who do so. But to simply not care and to hire without any level of background is insane. Now, I will say this, um, according to the allegation, not it wasn't just the manager. Uh, it was the manager leading others uh, in order to partake in this. Uh, the incident is an outrageous example, according to the narrative of Popeye's failure to prioritize customer safety and well-being. Davis said in a statement, and I concur. By hiring a manager with a history of violence, Popeye's exhibited a reckless disregard for the safety of their patrons. It's called negligent hire is what it's called. The manager and two employees exited Popeye's and violently attacked her inside of her vehicle. They went into a car to do so. Uh, we are resolute in our commitment to holding the restaurant accountable for their actions and seeking justice for our client. The attorneys will share more details at the press conference. Now, that press conference uh, did update just a couple of factors, but nothing that changes uh, the sentiment of the original press release from the office. They are filing, obviously, the lawsuit and moving forward. Um, these are the dynamics inside of communities that happen to be communities of color on a regular basis. Um, luckily, in this case, there's a civil rights attorney who was alerted to what happened. And he understands this from the perspective of uh, systemic rather than simply an individual's action. He knows that the negligence of the corporation, of the company itself, is what led to this cause and effect dynamic you see before you. And so he's attacking civilly the corporation. Now that corporate structure, I guarantee you, will now adhere to the rules and policies that are placed for the sake of the consumer. All right.
Dear brother, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you mentioned the cause and effect dynamic. And I want to touch on that a little bit because the manager, I would imagine, led this thing where they left the restaurant in order to get out of the car. So I would imagine the two employees wouldn't have done what they done had it not been for the leadership or lack yeah. thereof of the manager. So that's where the failure is and that's where the negligence lies in as we move forward and try to figure out what happened here. Yep, all right, updates soon to follow. Hell of a thing, a Texas man allegedly opened fire on a car with black students in it. Um, what about the accountability? None. Let me take you to the video, here it is. About nine shots fired at this vehicle. There's even a bullet in one of these tires. We got people from the neighborhood that came out too, just uh, neighbors came out. But that's one bullet hole. That's from when he was coming into the, the cul-de-sac. That's the one shot that was fired. And then underneath this light, when they passed through, there were more shots fired. There were three guys in this vehicle, three young men, I think 18, 19, 20 years old, around that age. 19, 20, 20. 19, 20, and 20 years old. That's not right. What are, what are your thoughts, Candace? Um, just like I said, you know, his complexion is his protection. And, you know, the whole process of handling this investigation was not done right at all. Because, one, when you have something like this, you're supposed to do the residue check. You're supposed to ask them to give, bring those weapons out. They were supposed to charge that man. That man was supposed to be charged, and he wasn't. Yeah. Because if he was black or Hispanic, he would have been charged. Harris County, Texas. Harris County police refuse to charge. Put up the picture of the carnage done to the vehicle. Now, some would say you shoot at a car this many times to try to kill the people on the inside. Harris County officials have declined to press charges after someone shot at a car occupied by three black college students nearly a dozen times as they were searching for parking in a residential community for a party they were attending. Let me give you background to this community shooting. On July 28th, county deputies were called to a neighborhood in Spring, Texas, after someone made a noise complaint about a party at one of the houses. When the units arrived, they were flagged down by Tavares White, who told them someone opened fire on his vehicle. White said he thought the sounds around his car at the same time of the shooting were from a burst tire before. He spotted someone standing under a light pole, pointing a gun at his car and firing. Clearly, clearly he is able to say exactly what happened to him. Here's what happened. There's a guy, he's shooting, we thought it was something else. He's standing right there at that light pole. We got bullets in our car. Obviously we were being shot at, right? Real simple, okay, there's more. White did not get a good look at the suspect. However, he did tell deputies the person was wearing a white hat. The person had on um, shorts and pants, a hat, shorts and pants. While uh, while he, excuse me, White and his family believe that a homeowner in the community who was frustrated with the constant parties and cars 
frequently parked around his home was behind the shooting. All right, not a stretch. Somebody who was disgruntled inside of this local neighborhood decided to, well, exact vengeance and become a criminal. All right. Carlton White Jr., the father of the young man, said, and I quote, This isn't just, I am going to shoot and scare. It's, I want to kill these guys. I want to make sure these guys never come back to this neighborhood again. I want to make sure these guys never breathe another breath, end quote. Let me give you some similar encounters from the community. A neighborhood recounted, a neighbor recounted, excuse me, issues she had with the same homeowner who community members believe was the one who opened fire. So they literally have an idea, all right? Neither deputies nor news outlets have released the identity of that individual because he has not been charged, he has not been arrested, wasn't even detained. The neighbor continued to say, quote, I was young, probably 14. And I was with my cousin when he pulled a gun on us just because we were popping fireworks. So after the shooting, deputies interviewed the homeowner in question, who showed them a gun, showed them a gun with a caliber that did not match the shell casings outside. The homeowner said he was sleeping and hadn't used his gun in years. The DA's office refused to press charges because White could not positively identify the shooter. Now I want to stop you right here, okay? Number one, he presents a gun. Now, if he's a shooter, he's not going to present the gun that he shot, okay? Number two, there was no, well, test, residue test to see if he had gunpowder on his clothes, his hands, nothing. You know, these things are simple. As a matter of fact, I know many. Who would have just posed the question? Well, do you mind if we go ahead and just check you to eliminate you as a suspect? Check you, see if you got some gun residue in your hand. We got a kid right in the car. You see, if he would have said, No, I'm not going to let you do that, well, obviously that would create a level of suspicion. Okay, because you just said you have not shot a gun in a very long time. All right? Did the officer, the detective, the investigator, did they pose that question? According to the narrative, no. Community activist Connell X and Dr. Candace Matthews stood with the family denouncing this targeted reckless act of violence. They stated that, quote, you want us to believe that shell casings are on the ground in front of the house. A young man saying he is the one who shot at me, but you don't test the hands for gun residue, question mark. The lack of investigative prowess means that likely the cops who responded are on code. You know what that means? That means that they understand what the other person did. And the other person understands that the officer understands what what happened. And both of them are okay with that understanding. So no investigation. None. All right.
We're gonna continue to shed light on this story until an exhaustive investigation is done. Um, if anyone knows the name of the individual, I am not law enforcement and I'm not your local damn news. I will release the name, give me the name of the person. All right, Jeff thoughts. Those definitely were warning shots. Warning shots go in the air as stupid as that, as that is. With yeah. that being said, I guess we're supposed to leave that Ralph, uh, Ralph Darrell who was shot after ringing the uh, wrong doorbell. Heather Roth and Peyton Washington shot after getting into the wrong car. Kaylin Gillis killed after turning into the wrong driveway. Mm -hmm. Those weren't warning shots either. We know what the aim literally and figuratively, uh, figuratively was in this situation. Yep, all right, hopefully we will have an update once someone contacts us at Indisputable. Once again, you can email the team directly, indisputable at tyt.com. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable stick and stay. All right, I got something for you. Lighten the mood a little bit, ladies and gentlemen. I wish you Karen Wood. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a In Sunday? You're going to feel great. Back off! I'm going to tell there's an African American man threatening my life. You don't like it? What did you just say to me? You're, a You're not human. There's only two genders. Say it there's again. Say it for all the people to hear. Oh, say it again. You don't like it? What did you just say to me? You're, a You're not human. There's only two genders. Say There's it again. Say it for all the people to hear. Oh. Say it again. Let's put up this Karen full mass. This particular male Karen said to the individual recording, You're not human. You're not human. Proceeded to utilize homophobic slurs against the human recording. The reason I bring this to your attention, and this happened in Calgary, Alberta. The reason I bring this to your attention is because what this male Karen just said is the underlying principle, the, the catalyst. The prerequisite to mistreatment. It is because in their heart, in their very corrupted soul, they believe that certain people who disagree with them and they may disagree with that person. Well, all of a sudden, you're no longer human. They have devalued. The very life essence of another person. Now I will say this uh, to you, Mel Karen. Um, I believe you are human, even though you lack humanity. Mm. The person recording is both human and shows humanity. You do not. I would also submit this to you because you probably derive your worldview from some Christian context. I'm a man of faith myself. I refuse to allow um, individuals like yourself that hold your particular ideology to find my faith for me. But if you derive your belief from scripture, from some faith context, how is it that you're able to bypass the one dynamic that all text says? 
that everybody, everybody was created by God. All right, Jeff, thoughts? I mean, he went from there's only two genders to you're not human to where I'm sure the two genders are in human beings, but I'm glad that you, sir, in your frustration with this male Karen, <laughs> upheld his humanity, the very thing he was not willing to do. Applaud you, because I was about to say something real rough. <laughs> That's how we do it here. You lead by so there we go. Well, you know, we get it right sometimes. University supervisor, according to the allegation, called someone a runaway slave, made life very difficult. Put her up for a mask. Seems as if the story is corroborated. San Francisco State University advisor claims Confederacy obsessed supervisor referred to him as a runaway slave and harassed him at work. This is a saga. A black man is taking legal action after claiming that he was harassed and racially discriminated against by his own supervisor. Her name, Karen. I kid you not, Karen Rubin is her name. While working at a California university, leading to him experiencing panic attacks, heightened fear, anxiety, and other health issues. Court documents allege Rubin is accused of calling the black employee under her supervision a runaway slave. The San Francisco State University employee, Demaria Bond, Ms. Bond, uh, is uh, suing his former supervisor, Karen Rubin, and the California State University system. This is according to a lawsuit that was filed in the Superior Court of California Tuesday. Court documents show Vaughn is seeking damages due to the institution's failure to protect him from what? A hostile work environment. Ms. Rubin's repeated race-based harassment of Mr. Vaughn and other non-white SFSU employees would be indefensible anywhere, but especially at an educational institution where diversity, uh, inclusivity, and respect should be upheld. Ruba's attorney, um, Aris Sadat, told the San Francisco Standard. Per the lawsuit, Mr. Bond started working at the university in 2001 and was promoted during his tenure. In 2016, he became an academic advisor at the school's advising resource center. Three years later, Ruben identified as a identified as a white woman became the center's direction a director in August 2019. Referred to him as a runaway slave, end quote, due to being absent from work according to his claim. Mr. Vaughn reported Ruben's remarks to a professor at the school who alleged that Ruben had a portrait of Confederate General Robert E. Lee displayed in her office per the lawsuit. In the months afterward, Mr. Vaughn continued to address Ruben's actions and racist comments directed at her employees, the suit says, but she brushed it off. The lawsuit also alleges that Ruben began telling Vaughn to check in with her upon arrival to work, but his colleagues were not given that requirement. Vaughn repeatedly tried to report his and his colleagues' experiences the runaway slave comment, but no action was taken, the complaint claims. The lawsuit says that Ruben is also accused of touting Confederacy images 
as quote leadership and declined a request to acknowledge the murder of George Floyd killed by Minneapolis police in the center's newsletter. Instead, the lawsuit states, she preferred that the newsletter focuses on puppies and other happy things. Yet she was able to make space for a fun fact and iced tea preferences in relation to the Mason Dixon line. The claim shows the work environment caused Vaughn to have panic attacks. He eventually took a two week medical leave at the beginning of 2020. Due to a delay with one of his doctor's notes that requested an additional two weeks off, he unintentionally missed some days and Ruben threatened to terminate him. This led him to take an extended medical leave, fearing losing his position amid an investigation into the dilemma. When he returned to work remotely, this was in 2021, Vaughn said that the harassment from Ruben immediately continued. Vaughn eventually reported his experience to the school's equity program and compliance office. The school began an investigation. The probe which started in July 2021 and ended months later in May of 2022 concluded that Miss Rubin in fact harassed Mr. Vaughn based on his race. They agreed, however, she was still able to hold her position until she resigned when she felt like it months later. There's more. In a statement to the Daily Beast, the university called the allegations unacceptable and emphasized that it is quote, committed to fostering a safe and inclusive place to work and study. These allegations were immediately and fully investigated by an outside investigator pursuant to CSU's non-discrimination policy. The administrator resigned from her position shortly before the investigation was finalized and before any personnel, uh, personnel action could be taken. The statement continued. The university also took immediate steps to remediate the workplace environment while the investigation was ongoing. Had the administrator not resigned, the university would have terminated her. Oh, that's what that's what you would have done. Mm. You could have done it when you knew that she was racist. You could have did it then. The culture around this woman, based on the narrative, is clear. More than one person experienced racism from this individual. And, and here's the thing, I'm a university professor, all right? So I understand some of the rules. There is no right to carry a Confederate soldier's mm-hmm. picture in your office. None, doesn't exist. When that move happened and it made, uh, let's just say some folks uncomfortable, why did you not address that? Ah, see, you allowed the culture to permeate. Who in the hell walks into a diverse institution with a picture of a representation of enslavement? All right, dear brother, thoughts. And I want to clarify, just in case anybody was wondering, why walking into someone's office and seeing a Confederate anything it makes them uncomfortable? Uh, the Confederacy are traitors. They left right. this country, then attacked this country for the sake of enslaving black people. Do not come to us about states rights or anything else. That's what it's there for. I don't know why his legacy is lasting this long. Well, 
the daughters of the Confederacy, yes. But it has nothing to do with anything other than hatred and bigotry. That's what it is. That's what makes black people and other people of color uncomfortable. It should make her uncomfortable as well. Yeah, well, she was what we would call hyper aggressive mm. racist. Mm. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Let me say thank you to the last dragon. Welcome to Indisputable. All right, good to have you on board. Um, yeah, a black TikToker had to teach a white racist teenager a proper lesson. Here it is. Hey, Dylan, how you doing, buddy? I made a video on Teddy Roosevelt, minding my business, and you thought it would be just hilarious to comment this unprovoked, thinking I wouldn't see it. Joke's on you. I'm God. Welcome to hell. Get really irritated at these private profiles thinking they could just go around the platform being racist, bigoted, and thinking that they won't get checked. The profile private, but guess what? I'm God. You're a volunteer firefighter with the Williamsport, Indiana Fire Department. I won't say your last name and I won't show your face because I'm not sure that you're not a minor. But you gonna learn this lesson today. It's a nice award you got there. I slipped, tripped, and fell right into the DMs of your commanding lieutenant at the Williamsport, Indiana Fire Department. I also found your mom, fell into her DMs too. Dylan, I want this to serve as a lesson. You can be racist and bigoted all you want, but one day you gonna be racist and bigoted to the wrong one. And today was that day, stay in school. <laughs> I mean, that man is basically a university professor. <laughs> Let's put it up full mass. Proper education. Black content creator named Andre P. White was the star of this epic clapback video. Uh, did it in style. Dylan, the young man mentioned in the greeting, left a racist remark in the comment section of a video where uh, where White, Mr. White, discussed former President Theodore Roosevelt, labeling him a supervillain and expressing his belief uh, that Mount Rushmore should not exist. Dylan's lieutenant. Jay Lyons followed up with Mr. White, all right? Because, you know, Mr. White fell into that DM with this information. So the lieutenant says, quote, I'm writing, I am writing in regards to the vitriolic comment that one of our recruits left on your video. I can assure you that our department would not and does not tolerate this type of behavior. I know it is no excuse for what he said, rest assured, it will be dealt with swiftly and with serious punitive action. The lieutenant continued to apologize and asked that his department be charged with carrying the burden of a child's mistake. The department also took social media to distance themselves from the vile comment. There it is. We want you all to know. The comments of one individual does not in any way, shape or form, reflect the views or position of the Williamsport Volunteer Fire Department. We are shocked and saddened by this issue. We are currently reviewing the incident that you have brought forth and will deal with it immediately. White also posted Dylan's private appeal for grace, saying he has learned his lesson. Let's put it up. 
I'm sorry for the joke I made on your account. It was out of it was out of line and dumb. I shouldn't have said it. And I respect you for publicly shaming me. It's what I deserve. The team said. Keep up, keep up the um, the content because I want to say this. He did not publicly shame you, sir. He privately shamed you. If he would have released your full name and your picture, that would be publicly shaming you. Okay? He privately shamed you because he actually cares about humanity and the fact that you are possibly a minor. He weighed that because he's a decent human being. That's why. Okay? He then added, quote, I know I don't get, I don't deserve it, but can you please ask people to stop targeting my fire department? Question mark. I know I don't deserve it. They can attack me personally all they want, but please, not my department. His final message said, you can let your followers know they just fired me. I'm sorry. I learned my lesson. End quote. White did his final video on the issue, sharing with his people that um, all that happened. He said, the racism was loud, so my response and his lesson had to be louder um, and understand this. What just happened is going to be so valuable for this young person, very valuable. Accept the lesson, accept it, embrace it, be happy that it happened. Because if you were just a little older, let's say you don't get the lesson today, but you get it when you're 30 and you blast it all over somebody's social media account because you engage in this kind of behavior. That's a worse dynamic to overcome right now. The only people that really know are the folks who you work with and your mama. All right, Jeff, thoughts. What P. Diddy there did there on TikTok was almost the equivalent of investigative journalism. You yeah. know, once upon a time, Mike Tyson said, social media made y'all way too comfortable with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the face for it. What P. Diddy did to Dylan, was worse than that. Good job on him, could get worse. Yeah, there you go, all right. So you have a cop that basically brutalizes a man, hits him 18 times, has no justification. He gets found not guilty. I want you to go to the video, here it is. Put up the picture of the cop. Here's an update. This ex-Louisiana state trooper was let off the hook by a federal jury after justifying thrashing a black driver 18 times with his flashlight. His defense called it pain compliance. A federal jury decided to relieve the Louisiana State Trooper in the civil rights violation charges he faced after he seriously wounded a black man with a flashlight during an arrest in 2019. 
We provided this information to you when it happened, when we received the video. Aaron Larry Bowman. Mr. Bowman was pulled over by Louisiana State Trooper Jacob Brown for improper lane usage and was forcibly removed from his car by state troopers. When former trooper Jacob Brown, 32 years of age, showed up at the scene, he decided to pull Bowman into the driveway of his home in Monroe, then battered him with a flashlight 18 times in 24 seconds. Here's the picture of the man in the hospital, you see, He was brutalized. It took state police nearly two years to investigate the attack. And they only launched a probe after Bowman filed a civil rights lawsuit. Investigators described Brown's actions as excessive and unjustifiable and noted that he failed to report the use of force to his bosses and intentionally mislabeled his body camera footage. Why would he do all of that? That's the that's called evidence of a guilty conscience. It was covering it up. Brown was ultimately indicted by a grand jury for civil rights violations and was charged with one count of deprivation of rights under color of law. To defend his actions, he called the beating pain compliance, referring to a variety of pain inducing techniques available to officers to persuade an uncooperative arrestee to comply with their demands. It's an insane pleading. It only took three days, um, it's insane defense. It only took three days for jurors to find Brown not guilty. Uh, this is not the officer's only instance of brutality, right? Before Brown stepped down from his position, state police records show he was involved in 23 use of force incidents dating to 2015 to 2019, of which targeted black people. Now, I want to say this, this is on record, right? The one that he went to court for was not on record. He provided no record of it. He lied on the police report. He mislabeled his camera so it could not go under review. These are intentional actions. So while we have a 23 use of force incidents on record, how many more do you think we have that he did not on record? There's more. He is still facing state charges for this for this part. His part in another violent arrest, another black motorist that he bragged about in a group chat after or with other troopers stating, quote, it warms my heart knowing we could educate that young man, end quote. Why is it that law enforcement attracts this kind of psychology? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? You have to ask yourself that question. Because I guarantee you, you, you go to any other job, all right? Go to, um, Go to city hall, go to a restaurant, go to a construction site. You will not find this level of psychological violence. It's insane. Uh, There's something obviously significantly corrupt in the culture to where it literally attracts psychopaths. All right, dear brother, thoughts here. As I was reading about this story, I noted that It took state police nearly two years to investigate the attack, and they only launched a probe after Bowman, the victim, filed a civil rights lawsuit. And the first thing that came to mind was, when I see this video, 
are they only going to bring about consequences and repercussions to the officer because we see the video? As in, when the police see it and they don't have to report it or make it public, it's all good. But when they know the public's going to see it, that's when they get expedient with firing someone or just bringing about some kind of consequence. Tired of that, this is yep. gross. And so I'm glad something's happening. There you go. All right, we'll see what happens with this um, additional case, all right? There's an update. Remember the man who was found dead, all right? Found dead inside of a jail with um, bugs, bed bugs around. I'm going to do this. He was eaten alive by these bed bugs. Put up the picture that we currently have. And um, that's how he was found. Bugs all on him. So much so that when the deputies found him, they refused to touch him. Okay? They would not touch him. Go to the cell. Go to the other angle of this same cell. They made him live in this. They made him live in it. You now have a significant update. Fulton County has now settled with the family of jail inmate who died covered in bed bugs. LaShawn Thompson, 35 years of age of Winter Haven, Florida, was discovered unresponsive in the jail's psychiatric wing. This was on September 13th, according to a Fulton County Medical Examiner report. Fulton County has reached a $4 million settlement in the death of LaShawn Thompson, who died in September in the Fulton County Jail Mental Health Wing covered in bed bugs. County commissioners voted six to zero to approve the settlement following discussion. Commissioner Khadija Abdur-Rahman said later that she believes terms include establishing policies and procedures to prevent any further de- any further deaths like Thompson's. The commissioner said she also believes NAFCARE, the healthcare provider at the jail, has reached a similar settlement with Thompson's family committing to preventative measures as well. No amount of money can bring back the life of a loved one, she said. But she hopes the settlement is an indication that all parties involved will do what they can to prevent similar incidents. Why was he in jail in the first place? Thompson 35, Florida was arrested when Georgia Tech police found him sleeping in a park in Midtown. Georgia Tech college police found him sleeping in a park in Midtown. He had been held for three months before he died in the jail's psychiatric wing. His cause of death was undetermined according to a Fulton County Medical Examiner report, but an independent autopsy paid for by former NFL quarterback, the big homie Colin Kaepernick, concluded that Thompson died of neglect. The US Department of Justice has now opened an investigation into the jail, citing Thompson's death as one of the many in the facility during the past few years. So once again, you have a cultural issue here. Okay, um, there's this policy dynamic back and forth with um, Sheriff Labot, the county commissioners. Um, Sheriff Labot, um, who does actually 
a lot of community programming. Sheriff Labonte has been saying to the county commissioners, we need more money. The county commissioners have said some, have said you've got enough money. Or you need to prioritize resources. I just need everybody to stop pointing down fingers. A man is dead. According to the federal government, more have died. Deputies should have put some damn soap and water in that sale. All right. So at this point, obviously the family has received a quick, this was a swift settlement because the incident happened relatively not too long ago. But none of this money brings back anybody from the dead. Those memories have now been summarized because of this negligence. But there's a cause and effect that must be addressed. Why would Georgia Tech police take a man who's simply sleeping to jail? That's because the city does not have, the city does not invest in a homeless or unsheltered facility to assist individuals who are having a difficult time. Nor is there massive infrastructure funding for mental health care. In the United States of America, definitely not contextualized through the state of Georgia to come down to the Atlanta metropolitan area. You cannot talk about what happened to him without the cause and effect of the policies that landed him in that facility. There is enough blame to go around. But this is what politicians are supposed to fix. This is the work of legislative prowess. This is how you get from problem to remedy. But instead, rather have frivolous arguments, distractions, red meat debates, while people are dying because of policies that are adverse to the protection and the progress of life. Jeff, thoughts? Imagine what it would have been like had that $4 million been invested in healthcare or mm. homeless infrastructure on the front end, instead of having to pay it in a settlement on the back end, which by the way, that settlement is coming out of the, the pockets of probably taxpayers. Oh, so yeah. there's no incentive for the politicians or the prison industrial complex to do any about this, uh, anything about this moving forward. Very well said. All right. Always a pleasure, dear brother, having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you, check out your great work. Yeah, you can catch me on Rebel HQ every day of the week. I have a YouTube channel called We Gonna Be All Right. And catch me in Rolling Out Magazine very, very soon. It is coming, dear brother. Very proud to have you on board. All right. Remember, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Yes.